You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spade. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. We are in the fourth Sunday of our Advent series. Now, every Sunday, we have actually gone back to the book of Genesis. It's been kind of a different approach, but it's important to do that to understand just why Jesus needed to come. First Sunday, we saw that Jesus came as a lamb. Adam and Eve disobeyed, and they needed a sacrifice to fix that disobedience. So Jesus came as a lamb. The second Sunday, we saw that Jesus came as a mediator. Adam and Eve were ashamed. Their relationship with God had been broken, and when God came to walk in the garden with them as he normally did, they hid. So Jesus came as mediator to bring back honor to Adam and Eve, the honor of being in a relationship with God. Mankind gave power to false gods. So Jesus came as a lion to show what true power is. Jesus came to take care of our weakness. What was all that for? All of that was so that Jesus could show how he needs to change us, to transform us. You see, through sin, we had become selfish. We wanted our own way, so we disobeyed God. We had become ashamed. We broke that relationship with God. And now we lived in shame. We gave over the power that God had given us. And we assumed weakness as we ourselves gave power to other gods. Well, God wants us to be obedient. He wants us to be honorable. He wants us to be strong. He wants to take the guilt that we feel and give us innocence, making us obedience. He wants to take the shame that we feel and give us honor, the honor of being part of his family. He wants to take the weakness that we have and make us strong. The big question is, how does he do that? Well, this was a process because you see, the first thing that God had to do was to prove to us that we couldn't do it on our own. So he gave us the law. In the law that was given to us in the Old Testament, we find a system that if we can obey these laws, we will be obedient, honorable, strong. Deuteronomy chapter 5, after the Lord gives the people the law, 
in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses told the people, now, now God has said this, you must be careful to obey the commands of the Lord. If you do, then you will live long and prosperous lives in the land that you're about to enter and occupy. Long life, prosperous lives. If you obey, you'll be strong. The next chapter, Moses goes on, he says, we will all be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. If you obey, you'll no longer be disobedient. You will become obedient. You'll be righteous before the Lord. Next chapter, in the middle of the chapter, Moses says, if you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you as he promised with an oath to your ancestors. He'll love you. He'll bless you. And he'll give you many children. You will receive honor. See how it is? If we obey the law, we'll be obedient, honorable, and strong. So they got the law. And they didn't obey it. They didn't follow it. They didn't do what it was that God told them they needed to do. Every single person after Adam and Eve continued in that sin. Continued. You see, God wanted to see that man would become what he was originally created to be. But each, every, each and every man, woman, and child, since the beginning of time, sinned just like Adam and Eve did. We too are selfish, just like Adam and Eve were. We too are ashamed, just like Adam and Eve were. We too are weak, just like Adam and Eve were. So Jesus came. God had to show us that we couldn't do it on our own. He gave us the law. He said, all you have to do is do this. And we couldn't. We could not obey. So as a result, God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus as a lamb to be the sacrifice for our sin so that we could learn to be obedient. He sent Jesus as the mediator. He brought an olive branch from God so that we could be in that relationship with God again and be honored by being a member of God's family. God sent Jesus as a lion and he will come again as a lion to defeat the powers that were set up, the false gods, so that we could learn to live in power, His power. So all during His ministry, Jesus told His disciples, God wants to change you. From the very start, He looked at 
Peter and Andrew, and he said, uh, you want to be fishermen, but God wants to make you fishers of men. And then he sat him down and he, he told him in the Sermon on the Mount, you're sad when you mourn. Well, when you mourn, you'll actually be filled with joy. When you are hungry and thirsty, you'll be filled with righteousness. God wants to change you. He looked at Simon, son of Jonah, and said, I'm going to even change your name. God wants to transform us. God wants to make us into the people that he always created us to be. So eventually, during Jesus' ministry, he says to his disciples this, if you love me, obey my commandments. It sounds like Deuteronomy, doesn't it? If you love me, obey my commandments, and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. Just so you know who it is, that's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. First thing Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is that he is another advocate. Advocate. It's a strange word. The word actually means someone who stands beside you. They stand beside you to help you. They stand beside you to counsel you. They stand beside you to represent you in a court of law. That's the way the Greek word was used. And so in some of our translations, it says, Jesus said, I'll send you another helper. And that's accurate. Other translations say, I'll send you another counselor. Well, that's accurate too. Here, this passage. I'll send you another advocate, another person to represent you in the court of law. That's also accurate. The point is, Jesus was there to do that for the disciples. He was there to help them, to counsel them, to represent them. But there came a time when he said, I'm not going to be here physically forever. I'm going to leave. And I'm going to go back to the Father. But when I do, I'm going to give you another person just like me. And just so we understand who that is, that's the Holy Spirit. Next chapter, Jesus says, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I've told you. You see, the Holy Spirit was part of God's plan from the very beginning. God gave us the Holy Spirit to transform us, to change us into the people that God created us to be, to make us into the kind of people that God always intended that we would be. Jesus says he'll teach you everything and he'll remind you what I've been saying to you all along that God wants to change you. At the end of the book of Luke, I think it's about three verses from the end of the very, very end of the book of Luke. 
Jesus says, now, I'll send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But you, you stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And then in the book of Acts, Luke and Acts is like a two-volume work. Luke writes the first volume, it's the story of Jesus. Then he writes the second volume, it's the story of the church. And in Acts 1-8, just eight verses into that, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Sounds good, doesn't it? Power. We're going to get power. But did you ever think, power to do what? What is that power? Is it the power to do miracles? Well, probably not. He told the disciples that they would receive something that they did not yet have. And they were already doing miracles. Jesus sent them out twice. Once, two by two, just the twelve. And once with seventy, leading seventy. And they went out to minister to the countryside. And they came back to Jesus. And when they came back, they said, we healed the sick, we cast out demons. We did the very same things that we saw you doing. Was this the power to do miracles? Apparently not. Because they were already doing that. Was it the power to preach? Well, apparently not. Because that's what they did when they went out on these ministry tours. And they were relatively effective by the end of Jesus' ministry. He had 500 followers. A lot of those came not through Jesus' direct preaching, but because the disciples had preached to them. So what power was it? Well, if you look, and you say, let's find out what was different about the disciples after Acts chapter 2 that they didn't have before Acts chapter 2. You get the answer almost right away. They were transformed. Their character was changed. Fifty days before Peter stood around a campfire and a slave girl said, I think he's one of the disciples. And Peter cursed and said, I don't know him. Fifty days later, he receives the Holy Spirit and he stands up and he says, I am his. I'm a follower. Do whatever you want to to me. But I'm his and you should be too. Peter was transformed. He finally learned what it meant to be a fisher of men. He finally learned what it meant to have courage, to be faithful, even in the middle of difficulties. He had been transformed. Modern psychology will tell you that changing a person's personality, changing their character is almost impossible. This is the only way it can be done. 
when someone comes in from outside and transforms you. And that is what the Holy Spirit came to do. Now, you may have heard the story of the author of Amazing Grace. His name was John Newton. He was born in 1725. He was the son of a ship's captain. When he was 18 years old, he was kidnapped and pressed into service in the British Royal Navy. They didn't do recruitment drives, or I guess they did, but that's how they did it. They took you and you served. No questions. Well, he wasn't sure he wanted to be a sailor, so he tried to desert. But they caught him, and they took him back to the ship, and they stripped him to his waist. And they lashed him with eight dozen lashes. That's 96 lashes in front of the whole crew. Well, John wasn't real happy about that. So he asked for a transfer, and he actually got a transfer. He began to serve on a new ship. This ship had an interesting business model. They would carry goods from Great Britain to Africa. They'd turn the goods over and accept in payment people. They would take those people over to the Caribbean islands and North America, where they would be sold as slaves. They'd pick up goods in the Caribbean and North America, go back to Britain, sell the goods, and the whole process would start all over again. John Newton was a slave trader. He didn't get along well with the crew. So about three years later, by the time he was 23 years old, the captain of the ship on one of the trips to Africa sold John Newton as a slave to an African princess. He later wrote that he became a slave of the people that he had been enslaving. He stayed there for about three years. In uh, 1748, he was rescued by a sea captain. John's father, remember, was a ship's captain. So he knew captains. So he started spreading the word. My son is being held somewhere in Africa. Bring him back to me. One of those sea captains found him, rescued him, or brought him back. To England, But on the voyage back to England, they went through a storm so severe that John was convinced that they were all going to die. And so he prayed. He prayed like he never prayed before. And as soon as he prayed, the storm dissipated. So he thought, huh. He began to read the Bible. He began to study. He saw Jesus calming storms. He read in Paul how Jesus could calm the storm in his own heart. And by the time they got to Great Britain, he had put his trust in God. From that time on, he decided he needed to change. He needed to live differently. So he stopped cursing 
he stopped drinking and he stopped gambling, but he continued to work on ships as a slave trader. First as a sailor and then eventually as captain of a slave ship. Now, in his mind, he thought, well, I need to treat people well, so I'll just treat the slaves that I take well before I sell them. But he still sold them into slavery. This went on for another five years. By the time he was 30, he said, I can't do this anymore. He left the Navy. He took an office job in London. This was about the time of John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield. He listened to them. He was deeply moved by their sermons. And he grew in faith. The closer he became to the Lord, the more disgusted he became with his former life, with what he used to do. And eventually he said, I need to do something about that. And so he joined forces with other people, people like William Wilberforce, and fought for the abolition of slavery in England. That took place in 1807, the year that John Newton died. The king wrote an edict, outlawed slavery. Sixteen years later, Parliament passed an act that outlawed slavery. Now, why do I tell you the story? Simply to say, transformation is possible. God wants to change you. Paul develops this idea a lot more clearly later when he writes in the book of Galatians. After four chapters in which Paul pretty much tells the Galatians how lousy, how rotten they are to the core. He then comes in chapter 5 and he says, You have been called to live in freedom, brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. A couple of verses later, he says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Paul tells the Galatians, he wants them to do two things. First of all, serve one another in love. Find ways to lose your selfishness and serve one another in love. And the way you do that is by letting the Spirit guide you. Now in the next two passages that occur in the book of Galatians. Paul goes on and he tells them how this is going to take place. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, he says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. First of all, love. If you let the Holy Spirit produce love in your life, Eight other fruit will quickly grow. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. God wants to transform you to be that kind of a person. 
That is sanctification. That's what happens when the Spirit fills us and changes us into the kind of person God created us to be. That kind of a person. A person of love. A joyful person. A person who senses God's peace even as life rages around him. A person who's patient. You want to know how to be patient? Watch me and then do the opposite. Because I'm still working on that. He wants us to be kind, good, faithful, gentle. There's another one I struggle with. He wants us to be disciplined. The fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes into us and changes us and makes us into that kind of a person. Then in chapter 6, he goes a step further. He tells us how we can let the Holy Spirit guide us. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, or in the context, since he has just gotten done, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. If you see in a brother or sister the lack of one of the fruit of the Spirit, if you see impatience in them, unkindness, not goodness, but malice, if you see in them not faithfulness, but waywardness, if you see in them not gentleness, but aggression, if you see in them not discipline, but libertinism. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share one another's burdens. Now, you know, I love this passage. Because in the passage, what Paul is saying is you can't do it on your own. God, God is the only one that can do it. So he puts his Holy Spirit in you to make you into a person who is full of the Spirit. He makes you into a person that has the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in your life. But what happens when you don't live that way? He literally says, help each other out. It's going to happen. There will come times when you show not kindness, but aggression. So someone who's kind of got this figured out needs to talk to the person. Get involved in each other's lives. That's what Paul is saying. We are to bear each other's burdens. We're to get involved in each other's lives. The best way to do that is one-on-one. -on -one. Have a person that you meet with regularly that you can sit down with and say, here's what I'm struggling with. And when you say, here's what I'm struggling with, you're not saying, 
It's going to be tough to pay the credit card bill this month because I bought a lot of gifts. What you're saying is kindness. I was aggressive this week. I'm struggling. And you can hold each other accountable. Each and every one of us needs one other person in our life. At least, at least one other person in our life that we are working with, who is helping us, whom we are helping. Each and every one of us need to be involved in a small group, whereas a small group, we can be together, open our hearts to each other, and learn to become the person that God created us to be. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came first as a lamb to forgive us of our sin, then as a mediator to restore us to God, then as a lion so that we would have the power of God living in us. And then he came as sanctifier, sending us the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit could change us, could transform us, so that we could be made into the kind of people that God always intended us to be. Jesus has given us his spirit. All we're saying today is receive that spirit. Be filled with that spirit. And let God begin the process of transformation in your own life. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.